All right, welcome back, everybody. I'm excited. Uh, today on the show, we have Martin Lanick. Uh, Martin Lanick is the lead author uh, of Repairing the Pipeline, the, I'm sorry, Repairing the Broken uh, Rung, Overcoming Bias in the Leadership Pipeline. Um, and, and I just I, I just really enjoyed um, the message and I'm excited to have Martin on the show and talk about this because we all have biases, right? It gets us into trouble. It's the same. It's a nice way of saying assumptions, right? And we know what happens we, when we assume. Um, Martin Lanick, uh, welcome to Money for Lunch. Hi, Bert. Glad to be here. Thanks for having me. You bet. You bet. And uh, so, so talk a little bit about this um, repairing the broken rung. Uh, how did you guys come about this, and and and, and who is this message for? Sure, I'll be happy to. So um, we partnered with Purdue University, researchers at Purdue University and George Mason University, to explore just the level of bias that we see in corporate America today. Um, just from experience, I've been working as a leadership consultant for about twelve years now, and just from experience, I've seen that um, there there's um, there's an interesting way and perhaps imbalanced way how we make decisions about who gets a promotion, who advances to C-suite or who gets that big leadership position. Um, so we partnered with, um, with researchers to just understand really how prevalent is this bias and what does this really mean for um, for um, women and what does this mean for minorities as they try to climb the corporate ladder. Um, we ended up um, studying um, over 120 different organizations and um, over 300 managers to explore just what kind of biases they have. And I think the, the results really shocked us um, when, we, when we saw just how prevalent this bias and discrimination is today in uh, corporate America. All right. So when you're saying bias and discrimination, uh, you know, you know what? Let's do this before we go uh, go any further. And, and I'm going to come back to that question. You know, you're the CEO of Pinsight. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and what Pinsight is, and then and then I have a question for you. Sure. Yes. Um, so my background is in industrial psychology. So I work as a psychologist. I work as a consultant, um, and my company Pinsight. Um, provides leadership assessment and development solutions. And one of our key values is fairness. So what we focus on is helping organizations make better decisions about who they put in key leadership positions so that these decisions are really based on merit and so that the best people, the most capable people are put in these high impact positions so where they can actually make a difference for the employees' well-being, for uh, the bottom line of the organization and for the society and economy at large. Um, so that's what we do. And uh, our key mission and our key value is really fairness. We want to make sure that we remove bias from these crucial decisions and organizations. Okay, so so my question is uh, what you said that we have these inherent biases or prejudice. What are some of these biases and prejudice that might mess up our decision or affect our decision making process? Sure. So um, we we've known, I think, as a as a society, that um, there is this phenomenon that we call the glass ceiling, and this meant that uh, we see 
disproportionately more men and disproportionately more white men in key leadership positions. So when you look at the CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, I think last year, a couple of years ago, is the first time where we actually ended up having more women than men called John. So just, this just uh, this just captures the level of imbalance uh, at that level for me. Um, so we've known that there are uh, there are these disproportionately there, there's this this bias and discrimination at, at all the way in the top. But our question was, well, does it where does it really start, and um, is it really at the time of promotion? So are men, women, black men, white men promoted at different rates? Or does it start even sooner when organizations are looking around and trying to identify well, who are the employees here that show talent and that we should invest in? Who are the employees that we should identify as high potentials or um, that we should put on succession plans because we believe in them and we see the value that they can bring to the organization? So that's what we focused on. We focused on early on in the processes that a lot of organizations use to flag or identify the employees that they believe have the potential to grow and can become great leaders in the organization. Uh, and unfortunately, that's that's where the problem starts based on our research. Okay, so, you know, the way I look at it, and, I, you know, obviously, I want your input on this is, you know, let, let's just say that I'm on the chairman of the board, and mm -hmm. I'm looking for a new CEO. And I've known Martin Lanik for years, and I know he's capable and he's trustworthy and he's loyal. And so these are the, you know, as the chairman, these are like the things I look for the most. And, you know, I don't see anything necessarily wrong with saying, hey, I want to put Martin as my new CEO because I've known him. And most importantly, I trust him. He does good work. Uh, you know, why should I look at anybody else if I already know, like, and trust you, which is, really what a lot of our decision-making processes are based on, right? And if I if I knew you for a long time, but maybe I didn't trust you because, you know, you drink a little bit too much and you're constantly showing up late, then I'm not going to promote you. But assuming that I know, like, and trust you, isn't it okay to just say, hey, I think Martin's the right guy for the job? Yeah, and no, I think that's, that's exactly where the problem starts because okay. we might like somebody and trust somebody, but our perception of who we trust and who we like is colored by these unconscious biases. And for instance, our study has shown that managers, most managers are actually more likely to identify white men than black men and, and men than women when it comes to leadership potential. And the differences are quite huge. So um, we found that um, managers are three times more likely to identify men as having leadership potential than women. And there are so when you times, say, just, to, sorry, just to interject, when you say managers, you're saying white managers? Managers in general. So the, the interesting part, okay. yeah, so we studied, uh, for example, so we didn't look at the white-black difference, but we looked at men versus women. Okay. And we found that the same effect holds. It's not as strong for women managers, but the same effect is there. So that just reflects our society. When you look across the board, we've been socialized to see all these white men in leadership position. So sure. when you say leader or CEO, immediately the face that you picture, most likely, is a, is a face of a white guy. I'm an old white guy. <laughs> an old white guy, yes. Yes, in 60s, 70s. That's right. That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right about that. I mean, I think that, you know, th there's been that, 
for lack of better terms, that programming where men, you know, we're, we are, we are the hunters. We go out there. Look, I, I brought, you know, I've conquered uh, capitalism. I've conquered, uh, you know, the corporate ladder. Uh, I've moved a rung up. Uh, and, uh, and of course, you know, women stay home, make babies and take care of the house. And even though I like to think that we have gotten better, that programming is still there, isn't it? That, that, I guess that's that biases you're talking about, at least one of them, that we have these gender roles. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. So, so we tend to see, as, and, and this is a sweeping overgeneralization, of course, sure. but, but most people, based on our research, both managers, tend to see men as having more leadership qualities, more leadership potential. And then it becomes self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So if me as a manager, if I see somebody who I believe immediately, the minute I see their face, I say, oh, this, this guy, and I'm going to say guy because that's where the bias is, right? right? This guy has leadership potential. My behavior is immediately changing. So I'm going to give this person more opportunities to develop. I'm going to give him special assignments. I'm going to give him more mentoring and more time to grow him because I believe that he has leadership potential. And I'm overlooking people who maybe are even more capable, maybe even have more leadership potential when you look at it uh, on a more objective way because of my unconscious bias. So that's, that's where the problem is. So we have this, this bias is then for me as a manager, it's actually preventing me for finding or to investing my time and effort and energy in a person who truly objectively could be a much stronger leader. And that's yeah. probably one of, the, one of the reasons why I could argue that we have so many leadership problems um, in, oh, yeah. in, in, in our society and in the world. why we have so many leadership problems, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, one of the things that I look forward to is as we get more women in leadership roles, I'm interested to see if we have the same kind of scandals as we have with guys, right? But back to what you're saying. Uh, so if, if there's a woman or a female manager, she is not necessarily going to pick another female manager as a leader. She is more open-minded to picking either a male or a female as opposed to a, a, a guy. He's going to look to another guy predominantly? Well, the interesting interesting thing is that we see this level of bias across both genders. So it doesn't matter if the manager is a man or if the manager is a woman. Both genders are more likely to select men and more specifically white men yeah. as having leadership potential than any other group. So that's, okay. that's so, the issue. Yeah, okay. So, that, so now my question is, how do we in a corporate environment that is... I guess been programmed like this for decades. How do we break this this bias? Excellent question, and this is where what I've dedicated my career to for you know, over a decade now. So one of our key findings outside of this bias is that most organizations, and when I say most, I mean close to ninety percent. So by far, a large majority of organizations are entirely relying on management to identify the next generation of leaders. Whether it's in the form of some ratings or whether it's in the form of 
name in an envelope, but most organizations, again, I want to repeat this number because it's quite shocking. Almost 90% of organizations are relying entirely on management to identify the next generation of leaders. At the same time, as we just discussed, we know that most managers show this type of bias. So that's where the problem lies. If we have, if, if we have managers as the doorkeepers to leadership positions, and we know that managers are biased, uh, favoring white men, then this, this creates a self-perpetuating cycle. So we need to break it somewhere. And one area where we found very effective in, in breaking this cycle is really to bring more objective data to managers as they are starting to, um, as they are making these decisions about who is the future talent, who are the future leaders at the organization. So bringing more objective data. Uh, one example is, for instance, from, uh, from symphony orchestras. So the minute they start doing blind auditions, where now the player is playing behind the, the screen, so you cannot see who is really playing, but you are judging their skill, um, or you are judging them purely based on the skill, is one effective way how to start overcoming this bias. And we saw that uh, the gender composition of um, symphonies has changed dramatically once they start implementing these blind additions. And we can do the same thing for leaders, leadership, excuse me. So we can also set up, for instance, a simulation of a C-suite type of role, and we can put people in these simulations, and then we can watch how they perform the job, and we can rate them on skills that actually matter, like how well they address customers, what's their strategic thinking like, uh, how good of business decisions are they making, and start making decisions based on this, rather than, oh, I like Bert because he's a cool guy and I trust him and I've been working with him for 10 years and he's very loyal type of thing. Gotcha, gotcha. I, I like the idea of this blind audition I like the idea of using that in a corporate setting. And I'm also thinking that, you know, we're, we're hearing more and more about AI, artificial intelligence. Would this be appropriate maybe for intel uh, AI where it's just going to look at it objectively? It doesn't care whether it's male or female. It's just looking for those leadership, um, what would you call it, uh, uh, qualities that the company's looking for. So, you know, that to me seems like maybe a good use of that, where the information is fed into the system and the system, again, is just going to say, hey, this person here, based on the, uh, the, the criteria that you're looking for, this is the best suitor for you. I think five, 10 years from now, absolutely. But let's be clear that um, leadership is first and foremost about leading people. You're yep. not leading other machines. So it's a very complex set of behaviors um, that, that I think will take a lot of time to train any kind of machine learning mechanism or, or artificial intelligence to be able to actually do this. Um, the other thing is that we have to be very careful about bias in AI. And that's a whole different topic because we know that there's been, it's, Right. As long as um, the, the AI is trained based on people, there is going to be bias. And we've seen some some uh, big failures of artificial intelligence because it just exacerbates the bias that we see in the society um, as it keeps learning um, these different uh, and, and adopting these different algorithms. 
All right. So let's talk about this. If I'm listening and I'm going, man, I love I love what Martin is saying here. So how would I go about implementing these blind auditions for my company? I would say that that's probably like the gold standard. So I wouldn't necessarily start there, but there are some very basic, easy things that uh, people can start doing um, as they are um, as they are exploring um, uh, the biases and, and potential discrimination in their organization. So the first step I would say is just get the data. So you can run some basic analysis to see if you are promoting men versus women versus different racial groups or age groups at the same time. And if you go to repairtherung.com or pinsight.com, you'll be able to download this research paper that gives you um, a basic formula for how you can actually calculate what we would call adverse impact or um, unintentional discrimination in these decisions in your organization. So that would be the starting point is, you know, understand where you are today. Then the next step I would say is start rolling out bias training. And a lot of organizations have been already doing this, but I want to caution everyone to say that uh, bias training is just one step. It's not the answer. Um, training is not is meant to increase awareness. You cannot train bias out of people. You know, a good analogy is to to um, if per perhaps you want to lose some weight. You know, you we can train you in awareness of exercise and dieting, maybe even create a plan for you. But then you actually have to do it. Uh, so bias training is that first step. Is you know getting a book on dieting or getting a book on exercise. But that just increases your awareness. Now you know how to do it. Next phase is to actually start doing it. Um, and the, the start doing it is actually to turn up some of the rigor. So rather than making decisions based on gut feelings, start putting some criteria into place. So perhaps identify what are the key qualities of leaders that we're looking for in our organization? You know, what's the strategy that these leaders will need to execute? Are we looking to increase operational efficiency? Do we want to increase market share? We focused on innovation. We focused on customer service. So you can, based on these questions, you can identify the core set of leadership skills that are most important at your organization. And then start using those as a criteria when you are identifying who are the future leaders. You can set up a basic rating scale or you can... Um, uh, do, um, you know, maybe through focus groups or, or interviews, you can start um, uh, pulling this data and start plotting people based on where they fit on these key leadership skills. So that would be the next step. And then once you have these bases down, then start bringing in more objective data. So we know, for instance, that psychological assessments are very effective in identifying future leaders. We know that there are certain aspects like uh, cognitive ability or intelligence or certain personality traits like conscientiousness or extroversion that do an, a really good job in helping you identify who are the people that have the mental capacity and the right personality to learn quickly, start applying their knowledge back on the job, and then actually um, drive the organization toward achieving the business goals or strategies that you are setting up. Um, so I would say bring some of this more objective data in, and that's where these blind additions fit in. But I would consider those to be the, the gold standard. So once you have some of these criteria identified, then you can build 
um, a sort of simulation or blind addition um, yourself, or you can hire a consultant to help you with that. All right. So, and I could see, you know, some uh, CEOs and even some CFOs saying, Martin, this sounds very expensive. Is it really worth it? What is the benefit to doing all this? Excellent question. What the benefit of this? And I'm going to slightly take away the, the diversity discussion from here because the, the ultimate goal is that you put the most capable people in the right positions, right? And that is where the ROI is. So it doesn't matter if they're black or white. It doesn't matter if there are men, women. Um, the, the key question is about putting the most capable people in the positions where they can have the greatest impact. And they can have the greatest impact on your business, on your employees. They can, we know from research that once you select the best leaders, they can drive employee engagement. So they would decrease employee turnover. They can drive sales up, profit, market share, stock value, all of these business outcomes that you care about. But you need to first have the right people on the bus. And this is the way to do it. Um, your bias is going to lead you astray. It, lead, it may lead you to select people who are perhaps not as qualified, but just because they look a certain way or they are from a certain part of the world, um, certain background, you feel more comfortable with them. So you are more likely to kind of turn a blind eye to some of the red flags and, and just pick them because you just feel more comfortable with them. Sure, sure. Yeah, and that makes sense. I mean, we we as humans, we tend to like people that are like us, right? I mean, it, you know, if 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 you're a white person, you're going to gravitate towards a white person. If you're a black person, you're going to gravitate towards a black person and so on. Uh, Asians tend to gravitate towards Asians and, and so on down the road. Um, so let me ask you this. And, and, and again, this is this is. Um, repairing the broken rung, overcoming biases and leadership in the leadership pipeline. So I want to ask you this. What are some of the, you know, strategies or tricks or steps to monitor this unintentional discrimination that we're all doing? What can we do? Yeah, we can start calculating the selection ratios, what we would call. So, so just look at what percentage. So out of your pool of applicants, so let's say you have 100 applicants, right? And let's just say that 50% or 50 of them are men, 50 of them are women. And then you um, make a decision about who to um, hire or who to even advance to an interview. Um, so in an ideal world, you would be selecting an equal an equal amount of women and equal amount of men. So maybe out of 50, you would select five women, five men um, to be actually advancing to the next stage. But if we see that there is a great imbalance, so if you see that, for instance, you are just interviewing men and you're not interviewing women or vice versa, that is um, evidence of discrimination or adverse impact. So you would want to look at the, the ratios of, of um, how many people are you advancing to the next step based on their resume, based on their, um, their screening interviews, or then um, your next interviews that you're doing, or any kind of, any kind of tests that you are using, um, whatever criteria you're using to make your decision. So that's where the key is. It's about the selection ratio, uh, making sure that you are selecting people from these different groups at the same rate. 
and hence you are not creating any unintentional discrimination. Yeah, and and that is at least to me it sounds like it's a fairly simple thing to do because it's 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 right there. Hey, we you know we interviewed you know ten guys and two girls. Uh, obviously, that's a red flag. And and you you know first of all you need to start off a you know just a little bit. To use your vernacular, a little bit more fairness, right? It's all about that fairness and giving everybody a shot. Uh, and you know, I do like that idea because you know we still see it, and it's it's just I think a normal human thing to again, as we started off at the top of the up top of the show, that at least you know using my example that we tend to automatically go to the people that we know, like, and trust just because we know, like, and trust them as opposed to saying, hey, let's take the extra step and, you know, let's see who we can find that might be better than Martin as opposed to just saying, yeah, Martin's a good guy. Let's just go with him. And that's what it's all about. So we all have biases, uh, but that doesn't make it okay. Uh, yeah. So because we are, um, you know, not only from an uh, inclusion and diversity perspective, but um, but from a business perspective, keep coming back to the ultimate goal is that we put the most capable people in these leadership positions. And our biases can just cloud our judgment. And this is how we can end up with disastrous situations where uh, we put people in key leadership positions, maybe our friends or buddies, um, but who family members. But, but just who have no business being there because they just don't have the skill. They don't have the, the personality. They just, they're just not. No right. <laughs> so now let me ask you this, Martin, how did you get started in this career path of identifying biases and unconscious discrimination? Uh, I'm a psychologist by training, and this is a big part of uh, what we do as psychologists is really to uncover the human mind and uncover all the biases. But uh, fairness is really, for me, a driving principle. Um, so this is something I'm very passionate about. Um, I, um, I'm an immigrant. I, I was actually born um, in, in Europe, in Slovakia, came to the U.S. and then you know, perhaps experienced not the level of, of, of bias or discrimination that, that other folks that look differently than I do, um, but certainly being from a different country, having a different background, just opened my eyes um, to, to this fairness and something I became very passionate about. Yeah, that, that's, uh, that's interesting. And, and I think that, uh, you know, as an immigrant myself, um, you know, there, there's definitely some, I think just about every immigrant will certainly come up against a little bit of discrimination and they're going to, you know, depending on how, you know, normal we look, you know, <laughs> then uh, we have less discrimination. But, you know, uh, you, you if you come over here and your English is not so good and your accent is very heavy, then it, it definitely causes, it, do, it, it does cause some uh, discrimination. And yeah. sometimes it can be unconscious and sometimes it's, it's not so unconscious. So uh, I'm glad that uh, your experience has brought you here because uh, we definitely need some, uh, you know, we all need to become better at taming our biases, right? 
absolutely and and especially in today's environment where we see so much um outrage um and rightfully so um, right. in in the world um so so i think even for us to recognize that we've experienced maybe a tiny tiny bit of bias and discrimination but it's nowhere even close to what our neighbors and and other folks and in, in the us uh, who look differently have experienced absolutely martin Lanik, thank you so much for stopping by and teaching us about our unconscious biases and uh, how to overcome them, especially in the workplace. Um, I want to pop your website up here. I'll put this in the uh, show notes as well. Pinsight.com. Pinsight.com. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Pinsight.com. You can go there. You can download uh, uh, the, uh, the information that we're talking about. Is that right? You can go there and download that. That's correct. Yes, you can. You can download the research report and you can get the full details um, about the study. Great. Martin, thanks so much for stopping by. Looking forward to have you back again, my friend. Thanks, Barrett. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. You bet.